0: Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks. I'm your host Connor Maxwell and today I've got the privilege to speak to Sue Briggs who is a Strategic Development Officer for Aberdeenshire Council. Sue shares her experience from starting over 30 years ago up until what she's currently doing right now, including the new book she was involved in. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Sue Briggs. So Sue, it'd be amazing if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD so far.
1: Okay, um... Well, I think I've been around quite a while, a <laughs> bit of a historical perspective for everyone, I think, but um, I think you know, I was one of those challenging young people that we <laughs> that we worked with when I was younger, um, so I didn't have a great experience at school, I struggled quite a lot and wasn't sure what I was going to be doing with myself, And um, didn't do terribly well in exams, um, applied to art college. Um, didn't have the exams to get into art college, but had a good portfolio, so it was a bit lost really. And you know what? I, I volunteered in a UNESCO project in Switzerland with um, a friend of mine I'd worked with as a volunteer in another project. He was Swiss. So I spent a year in Switzerland on this UNESCO funded project in the Bernese Oberland working with the farming community. Who um, I know it doesn't sound like the picture of Switzerland, but there was it was a family who were really struggling, and so there were volunteers working with them um, on a an environmental project. So basically, a year of volunteering somewhere else, which was uh, quite exciting. And I'd spent That's a bit so of my schooling. It, well, I, I tell you, it was great, Connor. And um, I had spent a bit of time. My dad was in the RAF, so I spent quite a bit of my schooling in British Forces schools in Germany. So I could speak some German, so that really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but working with uh, um, that family and wider family in Switzerland was a great grounding for me. So that was a kind of strong volunteering experience. And when I came back to Scotland, I worked as a volunteer with the Rudolf Steiner schools um, in one of their workshops in Edinburgh with adults with learning disabilities. So again, oh. that was a volunteering um, setup. So I did that for about 18 months and then... I did a few years in different, working as a a care worker in various residential settings, but usually with either children or young people. Mm. So um, I got a lot out of that, Um, got married, ended up in the northeast of Scotland, which is where my parents were from originally. They were from Strathdon in the northeast. So ended up up here, married young kids, got involved in the playgroup. I think this is a familiar story for a lot of community workers I know. Ended up on the playgroup committee. So... (laughs) Uh, Learned the ropes about how to organise or not organise uh, through, through that and then got a job as a part-time worker doing detached work and it was in Stonehaven where they were trying to remodel the provision in the local authority community education service at the time so I started out as a part-time youth worker there and um, and kind of got hooked because I had a very good, there's a great community worker who was my line manager. He ended up being the chair of the Aberdeen Foyer and the key officer at the Aberdeen Foyer. Um, so, um, and I'm still in touch with him. But got hooked in, it, got hooked into it by way of um, being, you know, exposed to the work. It was really just great part-time work. And then um, there was an opportunity to become a development worker, unqualified with training associated with it. So the regional council paid for me to work 18 hours a week as a part time worker in rural development in the south of Aberdeenshire and to do my training through an apprenticeship training. So how lucky was I? You know, that was another opportunity that really suited me. So I did my degree in distance learning through this apprenticeship model and which was and the the degree was the Community Development Stroke Community Education Award from Glasgow University. So that's what my degree is, but it was learning on the job. And I think that really worked for me. I know it doesn't possibly work for everybody. I think some people excel in other models of learning, but that really worked for me. And I studied in a group of 14 practitioners um, with them all the way through the three years we got to know each other really well and got familiar with each other's practice which was in different settings you know someone was maybe working for um in a community economic development job what someone working in community arts someone working in the third sector someone working for the nhs with a community focused role so the group of 14 learnt a lot from each other and that um that course really worked for me and i enjoyed the job i was in and i ended up permanently in that post as a full-time development worker and mm-hmm. that that job was with the regional council social strategy unit who were absolutely focused on tackling poverty and inequalities and um, were a really good bunch of people and I ended up as a rural worker for them looking at rural disadvantage and elements of poverty in rural areas so, so that was fine for me and then um at the disaggregation of local authorities so when the regions in Scotland disappeared and the unitary authorities came in, I was matched into a job in community education. So I moved from being a rural development worker with the social strategy unit into mainstream community education in Aberdeenshire and kind of have stuck with that uh, through various roles to the point now where I'm a strategic development officer with CLD in Aberdeenshire. So yeah, bit of a circuitous route, but um, but for me, it's been a good route for me. I've been happy with that pathway uh, for me. Yeah,
0: yeah. It that sounds that's really really good from going from the part time um, apprenticeship role for the university to where you are now. Um, so then, how did you find? How do you find? the job that you're doing just now um, compared to when you were, because obviously a strategic role is not as front-facing and that's different.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, I still work, the role, I really enjoy the role I'm in just now mm-hmm. because you're at a, I'm at a point with the CLD service in Aberdeenshire where it's a, a conversion point from all the kind of strategic stuff and policy stuff that influences our work. It's converting that into what works in practice for a team of, in Aberdeenshire, we've got 84 core staff on our books as community workers or senior practitioners or CLD assistants. So, you know, for me, it's kind of really an important role of conversion, you know, making everything that's decided up above into common sense for practice on the ground so that we can focus in on the work we need to do importantly. On on the ground, so I enjoy, and I also get to work with other officers in other services. So I work with children's services, and I work with corporate teams sometimes. Um, I work with others outside the authority as well. So it feels quite unrestricted in that way. Yeah. So I do enjoy enjoy the job, not that it isn't demanding, you know. And sometimes I feel a, a, quite a sense of responsibility um, as well, but. You know, I, I, I think if you've had a really good grounding, and I feel that's what I've had in my experiences, you never forget that. You, you never forget that. So you're always, at any point in your career, still you've got that inner locality community worker. I, I think that doesn't leave you if your learning experience and your work experience has been um, the right one during your career.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. How did you find at the time going from a development post to a community education post? Because I know there there is differences.
1: Uh, well, I have to tell you, it was like a battleground. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was. I'm I'm sure anyone listening from the northeast will understand this. There was, um, yeah. The, the social strategy unit didn't always see eye to eye with community education and that was about some of the agenda you hear talked about nowadays you know you're sitting in your community center delivering an education program and I'm out tackling poverty so there was a bit of contention and um, but um, so for me um, I was quite curious about how that would be joining mainstream local authority CLD in community education but it, it, it really worked for me I think if if you've worked in the field, if you've got your principles, if your principles and values are, are the core ones that you need, the context that you're working in can change. Yeah. We, you know, we're masters of change. It's our kind of comfort zone in our domain. We're masters of change. So, the context around you can change, but if you've got the core values and principles, you will operate as a community worker in that setting. So I somehow find myself working quite comfortably in that in that local authority role, and have worked with some great people going forward. But I was a bit apprehensive at the time because it felt like a different setup.
0: Yeah. So obviously you've had a um, affair your career, like you'd mentioned. Um, have you had any role models within your career, or MD um, that's really guided you?
1: Well, yep. Yeah, I think I have. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, The boss I had when I worked in the social strategy unit, he was a great role model for me. He was, um, his name was Dave Simmers. He was quite a controversial character at the time, but he was absolutely courageous. And his courage in terms of um, undertaking his work was exemplary, really. I le- learned a lot from him. I did fall out with him. At one point he accused me of being um, a middle-class do-gooder who wore flowery scarves. So I did have to deal with him on that front, Connor. But <laughs> then um, he and I laugh about that now. But he he actually was hugely courageous, made a lot of change, and I worked quite comfortably alongside him. And his deputy, who was the chap I'd worked with when I was a part-time worker, who was the chief executive at Aberdeen Foyer, they were an absolutely great pair. And I think, you know, I think our work's hugely influenced by those we work alongside. And I think we learn by example, much more than learning from, um, you know, papers and written work and so on. I think learning by example is really important in our sector. So Dave Simmers was a great influence on me and we're still constantly in touch. And um, he took early retirement and he's now working for a, he was working until recently for a, a food initiative, food bank in Aberdeen City. So he returned to his roots um, you know, at one point he was somebody who I think really tra- challenged convention. And if you speak to people around now in Aberdeen City who were maybe elected members at the time, councillors, um, he was seen as someone who got things done. And I I really respected his his um, way of operating. So I learned a lot from him. Um, also, I don't know if you rem- will have heard of Alan Small, who used to be on the oh, Youth Link board. No, Alan Small was a fabulous person, and he was um, an HMI, but an HMI with a difference. But he he was an HMI, and the first time I was ever involved in any kind of inspection, I was an unqualified worker. Um, Alan Small was absolutely brilliant and he really converted me to the whole notion of the importance of making sure people see that your work successful and that you're making a difference. Um, Alan Small, he passed away a number of years ago, but he he was a really wonderful character and uh, I liked him, I really liked him very much. And he really, he was somebody that would listen and talk to anybody at all and I think he was hugely respected. But he was certainly on the YouthLink board for quite a number of years before he, he died. But as, an, as a, a community education inspector, he was, I think, highly appropriate in how he conducted himself and getting the key messages out from people about how good their work was, how things were working. And the last person I was thinking about this morning was um, Professor Carol McArdle. She um, is a, a professor emeritus from Aberdeen University and has been very involved in the CLD field for years and um, but you know I like her so much because she is somebody that can operate in an academic world and speak common language but she can operate in a common language world and speak to academics you know so yeah. she can traverse that and that really is great and she's somebody I was involved in in a project which I think we might talk about later around writing a book but she and I have been involved in a number of things for a while and you know, I come from an era where you put academics on, you know, up, up on kind of sort of in, on the pedestals um, that we see in the world of academia. And she's just so not like that. She was the first person I met that was in an academic post that I felt really I could talk, could talk the same language as me about education and about learning. Um, yeah. She's a really great person. We've worked on a number of things, but you know how... Um, I originally um, got to know her well because I'd been at a conference she was at. She was talking about um, community work. She was really great. She was talking about work she'd done in Australia. And then it became apparent that she hadn't actually worked in the field for a long time. Her talk was great, but it became apparent that she wasn't currently involved in any practice. So I challenged her to go back to the floor and come and join my team. At the time I was a senior, community education worker with a team in the south of Aberdeenshire so I challenged her to come back to the floor and work with us and she did that she took that challenge up she got her sleeves rolled up and got inveigled in youth work got inveigled in bits of adult learning and bits of community research and things and um, so we've become mutual friends and colleagues ever since ever since then but I really admire her because of the translation she's job she's done for me around world of CLD and its um, academic descriptions. She's really just great at that. She also built my confidence. I never have seen myself as an academic. I've never seen myself as someone who's a writer. You know, I came out of school with no qualifications, um, really, not, not great qualifications, She's somebody who's really converted me to the world of writing, and, and I love that. and I, I, I love that, and she's dispelled for me the fact that you have to be an academic to be able to write about important things. So she's somebody I admire. So it's a, a mixture of, of folks that I think I've found quite important as role models.
0: Yeah, that's amazing that she took the challenge on to come and work with you, because that could have been so easy just to dismiss. And then how in yeah. that from doing that has then played such an important part in your life to then be able to, we'll speak about the book later, to do that and other pieces of work you've been involved in. That's incredible.
1: She's regarded very highly by practitioners. I think that's a real measure of of how how good an academic can be, I think, really,
0: yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, So why is it that you decided to start a career in CLD?
1: That's interesting, Connor, because originally I really thought I was going to be uh, to work in residential care. Mm-hmm. I had a great time for 18 months working in a, a children's home in Aberdeenshire. 24 kids in that home aging from five to 16. Yeah. And we had a great matron in that children's home. This is a long time ago, mind you. It's about 40 years ago, 40 odd years ago. And um, in at that time, the process. In child, in children's home in, in the care setting was once a young person was sixteen that was it, there wasn't a place for them in the care in in the children's home anymore. They had to go and make their way elsewhere. And yeah. um, so we had two quite um, interesting young people in the group at that time who we didn't feel were ready actually for that it, it, you know it, that jump. Yeah. And um, so we used to bend rules and we used to welcome older young people back to. Um, at weekends when they were maybe at college in Aberdeen, um, undertaking jobs, whatever. Mm. So we kept the continuity there. And I, I just really was quite struck at how a challenge, how challenging that time can be for young people who've been in care settings. You know, suddenly you're 16, there's an expectation that's different. Maybe you're not ready for that expectation to be met. And um, I felt quite strongly about that. Um, and it wasn't long after that that I, I I'd got married and I, I found an opportunity through this Detached Youth Art project, which was only two evenings a week. Mm-hmm. So when my kids were a little bit older, I kind of ended up going into that role. But it, it, it stemmed from some of those experiences of understanding, I think, what young people it, found difficult in those in those initial care settings and the settings i'd worked in for young adults with learning disabilities the inequalities that emerge and you've got to try and help people deal with that so i think that's what made me look at the the world of community work and as i say i on spec took that part time youth work job and got quite hooked into it and then really interested in the broader field of you know including adult learning including community development and and found myself involved in rural development work so for me some of that might have been a series of accidents and some of it more by design I suppose but I'm happy with the route that that took but to have found myself in this fascinating world is is great I'm really pleased to have worked in this in in this
0: sector for the years i've worked in it yeah brilliant and it's such a what i think i find quite a lot as well is people just organically find cld that you may some people come or the young person volunteer they come through it or there's just circumstances in life people maybe attend a group and it's just really really interesting just to hear um how from so many different people how they've found it and why they ended up taking a career in this and
1: well, you know, what was really interesting as well, I did a placement when I was at university doing my apprenticeship university thing, I had to do two different placements, cool. two, three months placements, and they had to be in settings that were contrasting my own. So there was me, a rural part time development worker undertaking this apprenticeship training. And then um, the first placement I did was in Craig Miller in Edinburgh for three months. And I got to work with a, a really great community education team there who I really regarded highly. See, see, for me, kind of removing machetes from people's rucksacks on a Friday night in a wild, you know, youth centre in the middle of yeah. Miller was very different to working in a rural, rural setting, setting. And I absolutely accept that. But I learned a lot from that contrasting setting. But the other setting I worked in was in Australia. I went to Australia for three months and stayed in my sister-in-law for three months and did a bit of research around the third sector and how that. That works um, over in Western Australia. Well, what was really interesting about that, Connor, was there is no no organisational understanding of something called CLD. You know, so oh, okay. so community development, CLD doesn't exist in, in terms, or it didn't at that time in terms of our understanding. So I was at the time looking for things that didn't exist in terms of structure and infrastructure. But um, a lot of work was done through social services, which was community development work. A lot of work was done through quite separate youth services, quite quite separately. Yeah. And a lot of work was done by the third sector, particularly... Um, you know, older people having retired from work undertaking voluntary roles. So I, I did a little bit of a, a kind of study around that. But but what was really interesting for me was the carpet was pulled out from under my feet because I was used to Scottish structures, Yeah. you know, nationally, regionally and locally. So all of a sudden you had to make sense of something that was about community work, but might be called something very different and might exist in different places. And I was at a base at the university, Curtin University in Western Australia in the post-grad department there. They gave me a desk, but it was in the School of Social Work. Mm. And the Centre for Aboriginal Studies and the School of Social Work in Western Australia worked incredibly closely together. And a huge amount of community work was done there um, in order to strengthen the capacity of Aboriginal communities so that they could manage their own services, so that they didn't have to have people flown in you know in to deliver yeah. services to them and um, but for me i had to grasp that and it made me understand that we become we can become a little bit complacent when we've got structures that we operate in and boundary boundaries that we work within Um, back at home so it was a real interesting wake up call for me i had to be quite fleet of foot because nothing was quite as i had thought it might be yeah. great learning experience i have to say great learning experience
0: Definitely, and especially when you're used to having infrastructure and guidance and guidelines and then to then go across the world to then try and learn what they're doing and if it's as ad hoc or however it is, that must have been like just such a cool experience, an amazing experience to learn from.
1: Well, after that, I've I've maintained contact with the tutors that I met over there and also I had a student. We had a reciprocal arrangement, so they didn't charge for my placement but we had to agree to take a student on placement here. Okay. So for four months, I had a community development student from the School of Social Work in Curtin in Perth, Western Australia. She had, of course, the same experience, but at our end, because she was encountering completely different structures, things were called different things, things were operating differently. So to find her feet amongst that and find the core of what community development was about took her a little while, quite interesting. So one of
0: the things that we I'd love to talk about um, is COVID nineteen and response to COVID nineteen. Um, so just I was just wondering for your point of view, how have you guys, uh, where you are in Aberdeen, dealt with the COVID nineteen pandemic and how have you supported people and continued to support people?
1: Well, I tell you, it's been a bit of a year, hasn't it? Um, and I think, I think to be quite honest, we were quite thrown initially, as was everybody. Yeah. Aye. And our Our kind of work depends very much on placing ourselves with people within settings where people are. So to be isolated um, in your own working from home, which we had to move to do quite quickly was difficult, Um, but we've performed a kind of dual role. I think this might have been the case for quite a lot of services. And I don't know if it was the same for you folks, Connor, but we were asked to play a part in terms of the corporate emergency. Um, response. So yeah, we had to do we well. Yeah. I think we're recognizing CLD as having, you know, um, quite varied skills. And um, so we tried to strike a balance between um, responding in that way and playing our part around the corporate emergency um, requirements and keeping contact with our learners. So we quite clearly tried to convey that to. People we work with. So we wanted to maintain in parallel the dual role, you know, the COVID response stuff, very important, and maintaining contact with our own learners, our existing learners, and community groups, also important. So we did work with that in parallel. We we put a plan in place, a step plan, which followed the kind of Scottish Government phases so that we could advise and support staff to work safely. Um, And We called it a step plan so that you could move forward and move backwards, depending on the state of the pandemic and the restrictions at the time. Um, So we basically moved everybody to working from home, did a huge amount of work on upskilling so that, you know, people became much more adept through training that we delivered um, on delivering training programs through Google, you know, Google Suite. Um, So we invested quite a bit of time. We've got some really competent staff in our service as well who did a lot of training for their peers on how to deliver learning effectively online. Yeah. And it's quite different. You know, so, someone who delivers well in a setting face-to-face might not be as comfortable, therefore might not deliver as well online. But we put a lot of time into thinking that through and, and working to maintain contact with existing learners and trying to reach new learners, which we did as well. So, so basically that was our state of play, has been our state of play over the last year a mixture we still retain some of that responsibility for the um, emergency response work you know the helplines the delivering farm pharma- ph- from pharmacies when necessary and yeah. um, helping in care homes so there's quite a number of staff who still retain some of those roles as well as delivering their core job but it wasn't we just we felt it wasn't possible to, to do anything other than that because we had to maintain some of the core work with our learners so a mixture core work and emergency response work but it's been appreciated i think by by the council and acknowledged that we've managed to walk that tight rope where you you know you keep a, a mixture of both things going
0: yeah definitely and you know i think at this at the start i was quite um i was quite naive about it at the start as well. Um, we, we sort of made a meeting about this could potentially happen. I was a bit like, this isn't going to happen. I'm totally like, no, COVID's not a real thing. To then two days later, the reality of we're all going up the road. And then there was that sort of pressure of what are we going to do if, about upskilling the staff, Um keeping engagement with learners and it's been such a difficult year. So it has trying yeah. to do that. But I think CLD have really rallied and have done amazing work yeah. across the country uh, making yeah. sure that we can maintain and maintain relationships, build new relationships all virtually and doing it safely, um, as safe as we can be.
1: That's that's absolutely right. But you know, an interesting thing, Conor, is I was out one day uh, door knocking because there were some people not responding to the helpline calls um, I was actually quite scared. That really surprised me, and yeah. I think I was scared because um, I'd spent a lot of time in, indoors. This was halfway through the pandemic; hadn't been out much. I'm in, I'm in an age group where you know, you know, some of the scare messages were targeted at that the older age group in terms of ability to contract COVID and, and be ill. So I also found myself just. It really was. i would never been scared professionally in my life. You know, I'll take on those things, I, but I felt quite scared. And that was an unusual experience for me. And it was to do with health, concern for your own health and um, unusual circumstances, knocking on doors when that isn't something we've been doing for the past number of months. But prof- as a professional, I found it quite it took me a little bit by surprise. Because um, door knocking isn't something that would normally throw me at all. It's part of how we operate. But because of the pandemic, I, I really felt quite nervous and unsure of myself.
0: I, don't know, I can totally relate to that. The first time I'd done deliveries, um, you were going up to people's doors and there was that, so you were questioning yourself although you have the conversations and but then you chat the door and it's then oh no what if there's covid on the door or oh no yeah. what if then uh they, the the person person i'm delivering this package to or the activity pack to and um, what if they come out for a conversation and there's all the things about being too close and it's not just like chapping the door there was so many extra things yeah. that you had to think about that was totally alien and new um mm-hmm. it, it was i, I could i can totally see why yeah, and you were scared during that because I, I, was, I was definitely apprehensive and mm-hmm. something that you day-to-day, well, not, not maybe day-to-day, but you're chapping doors and doing that, you don't have a second thought, whereas that, that definitely did happen and that will happen yeah. for so many people. So then how about the online learning and um, online activities? How did that go for the young people and families you've worked with?
1: We've had, we've had pretty good feedback and I think that's because staff are pretty skilled and have worked hard to make, you know, make sure it might work. Um, it will never be the same. So we quite often talk even nowadays in our teams about the importance of it. While we continue in the pandemic situation, the importance of blended learning, the importance at times of doing the walk and talk, if the Scottish government guidance allows us to do that so that you're, you know, face-to-face, but, but with social distancing. These The importance of um, blended approaches is, is probably the answer. It's not, I think, in our professional natures to work remotely. And, and I think it's not a comfort zone for staff. I hear a lot of workers saying, I can't wait to get back to not to normal because we don't, we know we're not talking about normal, but get back to actually meeting with people and working with people. But we seem to have had some success in Aberdeenshire um, online. We'd written a little case study up about it, about being able to. You know, upskill nearly 60 staff and therefore be able to deliver where we might not otherwise have been able to and you know what some some of the feedback from staff staff have been quite surprised at themselves at how skilled they've become you know the world of technology the world of social media isn't everyone's comfort zone but staff have absolutely got on with things in order to be able to meet some level of delivery and um, I, and, of course, up here, up in the north, um, Connor, I'm quite involved with the Regional Improvement Collaborative in the north, which is called the Northern Alliance. I think mm. you folks have the West Partnership yeah, down yeah. in the west. Yeah, I'm quite involved with the Northern Alliance. We have um, East Oil, you know, the delivery platform around um, online learning that's been operational for ages and um, from the Western Isles, largely sprung from the Western Isles. And um, so... You know, they're in our kind of working group in the north when we look at at models of learning. So we're trying to look more creatively at the moment at that, particularly with young people. How can we reach young people effectively, not alienate people, and deliver according to our style of working? How can we make that work? So we're challenging ourselves up here at the moment to see how we can overcome geographical boundaries. You know, the idea that a youth worker could sit in, in Varuri and deliver a programme to a small group of three young people where you where you need to provide some kind of bespoke learning in the Outer Hebrides, you know, I mean, it's, the whole notion is, it's really prompted us to be more innovative around that. So we'll have to see what, what transpires.
0: Yeah, definitely. I look forward to hearing how that transpires. Um, we, are, mm. we, are, we are in a similar position one of the things I suppose that we've spoke a bit about is that we've done all this really good work and all this upskilling and we don't want to lose that so it's about yeah. um, how are we going to, while we're coming out of COVID and things will open, open, back, open back up how are we going to maintain and continue what we're doing as well as making it better um, while still doing the face to face so it'll be an interesting sort of I think year again in terms of development to see where we'll be in terms of what we're doing. Yeah. Um,
1: there's no doubt you know that this pandemic has had a horrendous effect on people and it will accelerate you know poverty and inequalities issues and our jobs will therefore become more vital so i think we have to be up for that and ready for that and try to be as agile as we can to be able to deliver the services that we are good at delivering
0: yeah definitely definitely Um, so move on so um Is there any memorable moments or any highlights of your career that you'd like to sort of talk about?
1: Well, I have to talk about something quite funny. And this was the boss I was talking about earlier. Um, This is must be 40, 30-odd years ago anyway, 30-odd years ago, um, working in the headquarters for Aberdeenshire, for the region, actually. So it was in Aberdeen, working in the headquarters, ground floor, chief executive's department. So here's a group of kind of ragamuffins working in the social strategy unit in in the midst of all these um, corporate officers. So at one point, our boss got a little bit of a complaint about the scruffiness of the community workers, <laughs> right? <laughs> so this was an issue, you know, we had to try harder and improve our appearance well next day in comes a handful of community workers in very interesting suits from charity shops in colours of burgundy and beige <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about this this morning it was so hilarious it was and it was just it was a bit of a demonstration yeah it was a bit of a yeah. demonstration on behalf of staff. but it was very funny and some of us have never forgotten that that you know that you can dress yourself up dress yourself up in anything. It doesn't make you a better community worker, but it does make you more acceptable to the corporate body, which <laughs> I thought was quite um, quite funny. But from that time as well, I, I remember something this morning was, I used to play football. I used to play, when I was at school, play for the school team, but I used to play football. So I remember being in the, because the social strategy unit that I worked for at the time belonged to the chief executive's department. Um, i was playing for their football team for and and it was a really important match and we were playing against the transport section yeah and i scored a goal so my reflection upon that was i think that secured my promotion more than any other single thing i did in that team <laughs>
0: That's was amazing
1: oh, it's it it's funny really and another thing i was thinking about which is really um in youth work terms when I was working with a generic team but in the south of Aberdeenshire and um, working with some quite challenging young people in a, in a youth group and the disregard sometimes, I think because partly because you were a woman, partly, you know, because you're a bit older and so on. And um, working with a challenging group and were, we were using music quite a lot in these settings. So there was a guitar in the room and I play guitar and I come from an era which, you know, it's. It, you know, some some amazing musicians. So I picked up the guitar. We were messing about. I picked up the guitar and I was playing Stairway to Heaven. So I was quite a good guitarist because I used to teach guitar. So I was playing Stairway to Heaven. It's a hard song a, to play. Like, silence. There was silence. And it was like, how can she be playing that on a guitar? How can you do that? And they always, you know, it's that horrible thing of people calling you Miss. Miss, Miss, how can you play that? How did you, how did you know how to play that? And then that... Laughing aside, it just broke a barrier. It, you know that group was actually a really interesting group of young people and some very good musicians in it. Just a, um, a wild bunch, but that it built a little bridge, a little tiny little immediate bridge using music that you know broke an image they had probably of me. I as a woman and an old, uh, an older woman at the time, etc. So I thought that, that amuses me to think about that. It amuses me. But anyway. Yeah.
0: So then, um, do you know, I'm a music, um, I was in a band and I've played guitar for years on that as well. So did the music project, did they ever do any gigs?
1: Yeah, they did some interesting work. We'd, we did some work with a community choir um, with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. And we were trying to, they had, the RSNO had created a piece of music and we were to do some interpretations and some of the young people in that group, produced a, like a heavy metal version of the piece of music, which was great. And then there were two girls in that group who were really i can't remember their names now, but they were one was a guitarist and they were both singers. They, they were a, actually a great crowd. And when you were in a setting with it, that music is the common language and um, it was fine. Some other elements of their lives were really tricky and challenging. So, mm. you know, that's what we were, were working around. but. Um, Music's a great, music's
0: a great thing. Actually, it is definitely. It's a, it's a great tool for engagement. Even you know, it, it sounds, it sounds so sort of minimal, I suppose. But even just knowing a song that's in the charts, or like if the kids play a song in the center, and like I think it was Dance Monkey was the big song last year. If then you knew a wee bit of the words, that that do automatic street cred because you're not just going, oh, what is that? Or if. You know, even just having that wee tiny nugget of information is a total game yeah. changer because music's such an important part of young people's lives. Um,
1: it's, a, it's a communication, isn't it? It's a communication too. 20-odd um, yeah, years ago, I played in a band called the Lemon Tarts, which was five women, right? It was kind of contemporary folk and some of our own writing and mm-hmm. um, some traditional kind of versions of traditional music and so on. And we played a lot of folk clubs and we played the lemon tree in Aberdeen. But um, it's quite funny because there's never any, mo- never any money in these gigs, as you will probably know. Aye. So I do, I do recall playing at Leaven in Fife, I think it was. must have been at a folk club. We spent all our, this group of five women, remember, we spent all of our earnings on chocolates and flowers on the way home. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> the wild world of women in contemporary folk music. but, But I think... You're right, music, sports, another thing. There are a a number of angles that we can use really successfully, I think, in communication with with groups and young people all ages that we work with, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely, and especially when it's something like that, that... When the young people have got a sort of maybe they feel a bit of ownership or they've got that automatic knowledge that they've already got about something, it totally opens doors to start building relationships and trust. And then that can lead on to hopefully better things or more support if they require. So, has there been any, um, any challenges or any setbacks that you've had in your career? And then, if so, what have you learned from them? Well, you know what, Connor,
1: you know what threw me a number of years ago was I'd gone for a promoted post and I didn't get it. And um, there were lots of reasons at the time that I thought I should have got that post and it was the right thing for me. So I'd gone for the promoted post and I didn't get it. Um, and I was quite devastated. I don't know why, because I'm essentially probably a community worker at heart. It shouldn't have been such a big issue. But anyway, for me, I, it felt like a setback. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, I realized that actually, so I went back. I had been doing a secondment sort of thing. So I went back to the post I'd been in, which was a senior practitioner, a senior CLD worker. And it was the best thing I did because the amount of learning in the following two or three years that I did was amazing. Um, And and on reflection, you know, it was, for me, it was kind of a retreat. It felt like a surrender and a defeat at the time. That's what Mm -hmm. it felt like because. I think organizationally, we're taught to believe that it's, you know, you move upwards, you move onwards and upwards, and promotion is the way to go, even in our field of work, you know, where I think we need to challenge that perception. But it's, for some reason, it felt important for me that it was moving upwards. And it, it should never be about that. It shouldn't, it should never be about that. And it shouldn't be about the money and it shouldn't be about this and the other. And it shouldn't even be about the influence because. You get power and influence in different ways, so I I think that the next few years were the most productive for me, and I had a great team. We did a load of really good work, and I felt like I restored myself. I thought I'd stop. I felt like I'd stopped, taking a knocking, taking a step back. But it was a retreat rather than a surrender or a defeat. And I think that I became the better worker for it. And I moved on to things that I've really enjoyed afterwards and I've had opportunities that I've made the most of it was probably the wrong time for me so it was good that I didn't get that post but um, you know it was hard at the time it was hard at the time but it made me think a lot about about structures it it made me think a a lot about why we construct our organizations in a way that leads you to believe it's only the right thing to do by going up And and I yeah So I've moved in a number of different posts since within the same organization and taken on different challenges. But at that time, at the time, I was devastated. I felt like it was really stopping me getting to where I wanted to be. And it was not. It was actually enhancing me getting where I wanted to to be at the time. Um, I I just uh, my practice became better I'm absolutely clear about that and I learned a lot more my focus was different I felt a bit more like I'm a of a mature professional somehow I felt like I'd got out of a rat race because what I was doing was heading upwards when really what I wanted needed to do was stop take stock move sideways and regroup basically and move yeah. onwards from there
0: So then this is a bit of a tough question and you know and um, it's it can go sort of different ways. Um, so um, is there anything in CLT that you would like to change or like to see um, be done differently or anything like that?
1: Well, I was talking about this with a colleague today, actually, but um, I think if you work in CLT, you, you address bureaucracy in a particular way. You know, I think that the, there is often a real hesitancy to do the things that I think are quite important because they're the background things. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I've got a quality improvement role, I'm often the person that's nipping at people's heels and saying, listen, you know, we were supposed to have that report in and it's not ready. And we were supposed to have those numbers by Monday. I I sometimes feel like I'm the person nipping the heels. And, And I think there's a reluctance sometimes in our sector to pay full attention to those things that let us be accountable. Um, you know, there's a beauty around that, but it's a, there's a challenge as well. If our services are really important, and I believe they are, and in my role in, in quality improvement, the most important thing is that we do good quality work that changes people's lives and changes communities, deals with poverty and inequalities. That's the most important thing. But the second most important thing, I think, Connor, is that we can show that. Yeah. Otherwise, all is lost. You know, otherwise you don't get a funding for a project or or your learners don't fully understand what they've managed to achieve because you're not gathering the evidence and the information about it. So a lot I think, I think in our sector, we're bad for seeing that as bureaucratic hurdles when what I think it should be is um, the invisible glue that sits behind what we do if we're on top of our processes and we knock bureaucracy on the head because we've got our house in order, you can fully focus on what you're trying to deliver. So if we're talking about something I would change within CLD, I think there's more work to be done still to achieve change so that the sector fully understands that you've got to do some of these things in order to make sure that you you deliver that successfully. So, so for me, that's about... We should be able to have... Um, an invisible a cloak of invisibility, a cloak of invisibility, that's the thing. We need a cloak of invisibility over all that stuff, all those jobs that we have to do and we do them reluctantly because those are the things that underpin the outside view of how we do, you know, how we're doing. If we want to explain ourselves, we need to have the means to prove that what we're doing is really important. So so my one regret is that we've never cracked that fully. That you know, I think that's that's something there's still work to be done around that. So it's the, it's the necessary bureaucracy as opposed to the unnecessary bureaucracy, maybe.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think so um, I'm,
1: I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll about that campaign, Connor. So watch out for that cloak of invisibility, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll never see it coming. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, very good very um no, but I't I do it you know one of the things I've never been great at is the evaluation and the paperwork side, and since I went to uni is where I've sort of changed that and I've understood that a bit more whereas but it is that the evaluation and doing that work is such an essential role so then um is there any is there like any myths the a c l d that you would like to sort of try and debunk or um set it straight
1: i don't know i think there are um there are perceptions about what cld is about aren't there yeah in other professionals people we work with and so on i think i find this quite a difficult question to kind of answer but i'm thinking this that um there have been many occasions when i felt misunderstood okay you know i haven't felt fully understood because others have got perceptions there is a you know, a myth around the fact that CLD float about and what are they actually doing. Um, so there are times that I've felt quite unhappy, professionally unhappy about that because I've been misunderstood. And I think the sector we work on it is, um, is misunderstood at times, mm. although there are some great people in the sector that are tackling that, and I'm absolutely certain we're making progress around that. Um, but 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 for me, it's well. The old fashioned certain, certainly twenty years ago, I think we were completely not understood. I think we're more understood now. Um, but it, it is about clarity around our role um, a, a, and dispelling myths when we encounter them is important. Really difficult question that one. I will think about it more, Connor. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it is. Do you know? And the, my go-to always is the. And my pals always slagging like me is that I just get paid to play pool and play FIFA, you know. And
1: yeah, yeah, there,
0: yeah. there's there's that said. You know, I think maybe that's the fifth time I've said that in this podcast. So folk will be like Connor, get a grip, say something else. But, <laughs> but you know, and <clears throat> um, but uh, but you know, it's a, it's a relevant point that people don't maybe understand their role properly.
1: It's... But now I'm, go- I'm going to be seen as the, the woman that can play Stairway to Heaven. Oh, my God, that's going to be my downfall.
0: So just now, where do you see CLD, where CLD is, and then how do you see it maybe changing in the future or developing?
1: I think we're well-positioned. CLD as a sector is well-positioned strategically at the moment. I think we get mentioned in dispatches in important places. You know, we get thanked by the minister for the work we do. And, you know, um I recognise that that's not how it feels on the ground for a lot of workers. So there's a disparity at the moment. There's the positive stories about the importance of CLD at the top. So the flag being waved, but on the ground, folk are fighting for resources, losing staff through voluntary severance. Lots of things are happening. And so there's a gap there. So I think CLD is in a peculiar position at this point in time. I think we're maybe at a bit of a crossroads, um, So we need to close that gap, it feels to me, between those vital positive perceptions that people like Marian Allison and others um, acquire for us. You know, people argue the case strategically, so we are recognized more strategically. This is just how it feels for me. But we need to close that gap between the vital positive perceptions and the resourcing on the ground. So uh, that I, for me, that's how, where I think we are at the moment. I think we've got important work going on in Scottish Government through Education Scotland, through CLD Manager Scotland, a number of strategically placed bodies. Good work going on, but but we need we need to secure the future of the kind of work we do on the ground. You know, we were all we are always going to get measured on the success of what we do at the point of delivery. So there's no point in waxing lyrically at the top about a sector unless it can successfully deliver on the ground. So there's a mismatch between resourcing and the, and the positive perceptions. That's how it feels to me. And the other thing I, that I think about is any sector needs its iconic leaders, you know. And I, I've been around a long time. You know, I have a career stretching over forty years. Um, You know, there've been several prominent players in the sector over that time and some fabulous people. I remember, people may well listening to this, remember Alan Barr and Scottish Community Development Centre. There's just been some really fascinating people over the years, Duncan Kirkpatrick and amazing HMI. There've been some quite iconic people around, Um, but we really need the identifiers for the workforce to believe in that, that's something I feel at the moment, you know, we need the prominent players, you know, the voice of CLB to be manifested, I think, in some key iconic, iconic leaders, people providing leadership. And um, so we need, I think, that bedded in and the resourcing on the ground. I think if we could find ourselves in demand because of our ability to, and flexibility, our ability to mobilize ourselves during the pandemic. So we could find ourselves in demand, but that has to come with resourcing to make, to to make it possible for us to be able to do the jobs or we're going to exhaust ourselves. The sector will exhaust itself, and you you know, trying to meet goals, you know, trying to um, match itself to the expectations um, at the top when we've got these hugely positive messages. So it feels that like there's a slight mismatch there. It's, it's funny because I actually feel really positive for all that it's been a diabolical year. I feel quite positive because we have been able to mobilise ourselves and, and to play a hugely important part. I'd really like to see that continue. I'd like to see that be articulated better and resourced better. I think that's that's probably where where I think my thinking is at the moment. Yeah.
0: Oh, brilliant! Yeah, and I think that um, I think if COVID nineteen has shown anything, I totally agree that um, we were able to respond really, really quick, and we were so flexible. Um, hopefully, then that can come with some extra backing to um, continue and develop more services. This question I'll, I'll stick it just um, the back end of every sort of podcast that we do. So um, what advice would you give someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? I
1: think I would be saying this is an amazing field of work to get involved in. You know, learning truly does change people's lives and the kind of learning and development work that we're involved in is so impactful. So I would encourage anybody who's interested to really pursue it and have a look. And I would be saying that, but you have to understand it's a bit what we were talking about earlier, that change is a core element of our work. So don't expect to come into a static field. Change is a core element. That whole thing about supporting change in people's lives and in communities to make their world a better and fairer place. You know, that's a really important um, goal to take forward and to be part of a sector that does try to do that is really important. But but the final thing I'd say about that is that it is what we were saying about the context can alter. You can find yourself in a multitude of different settings if you've got a label that says you're a CLD worker. You can be operating in a whole range of different um, contexts. So it's a, a field of work that you might find yourself in one corner and there are many other corners where you could be delivering. So we find people who come through um, CLD careers who are working in community economic development or the arts or um, health, public health, or using their skills, CLD skills in a whole range of diff- different ways. So. It's an important field of work to get involved in, and I would encourage people to do it because it literally does can change the world in small ways and significant ways. Um, But you have to hold close to yourself the values and the principles. And we're lucky that we've got the CLB Standards Council that have articulated so well how important that is. You know, if you adhere to the core values and principles as set out and, and and respected in our sector, then you you can operate irrespective of things changing around you and irrespective of what organisational boundaries are put in your way. So I think it's a sector that's really valuable to work in. I think, you know, many key people have said over many years how important education is, in the lives of people, if you look at some bold statements from developing countries about how families will lay their lives on the line in order to meet the, the minimal cost for a child to go into a school which they normally wouldn't get a chance to attend. so a, a huge amount of importance globally is spent is, is played upon education. in our corner of education, I think we just do an amazingly important role um, for those people for whom mainstream is an, an, an impossible um hill to climb sometimes and I, and, and I think yeah it's really important work. so I would enthuse anyone looking at coming into the um into the sector but not to expect a level playing field because things are constantly changing it's a it's a context of change that we operate in and and I think that's important to hand on to.
0: So just um at the end here we would just like to talk about the book that Sue has been involved in so the book is called the impact of community work how to gather evidence so, so it'd be brilliant if you could just tell us a wee bit about your involvement within the book and really what it's all about.
1: Yeah happy to do that Connor. Um I think this book has been a long time in the coming in in in, um, in our sec- sector. Um we're not in cld we're not that good at committing um committing our skills and knowledge expertise to written word there aren't enough people writing in in the world of cld and um this book i have felt has been boiling away for a while because i've been involved in um, aspects of you know strengthening the gathering of evidence to show that our work's really important so i've been involved in assurance for a long time it felt to me there was something missing for our our sector so a group of us came together to try and put to try and write something and there's a group of five folk including Carol McArdle whom I've mentioned earlier Professor Carol McArdle um who is an Emeritus Professor from Aberdeen University there's myself who's a kind of strategic officer in a local authority Kirsty Forrester, who's a senior practitioner around ESOL with Dundee. She's um, a really interesting worker. Ed Garrett, who is a community development worker, who's got a lot of experience in working in the third sector. And Kath Mackay, who was an officer with Education Scotland. So a really interesting group of five with perspectives from practice on the ground right through to the world of academia. So we set to with a bit of a task to see if it was possible to write collaboratively and produce something at the end of the day. And that's basically what we've done. So we've met head on the challenge of kind of um, of influencing the sector around gathering evidence, the importance of that and demonstrating the impact of our work. So we've produced a book that's been published by um, Policy Press at Bristol University, who are a great publisher. Um, and they have a really interesting blog, actually, Connor, I'll send you the link to that because it's really, oh. really interesting. And um, they published the book. They did a troll first of all, a literature review to see how much had been written about this. And basically there was a vacuum. So no one had really set to roll up their sleeves and and committed um, to writing. So, so we published it in a, a whole range of chapters. It's designed for community workers, students, managers of community workers. It's designed, it's constructed to be of practical use to people that work in the field. It's not a book that's intended to sit on a a shelf. It's a book that's intended to be thumbed through and used maybe in training sessions with colleagues. You know, I would expect team managers to be able to take a chapter. There's challenge questions at the end of each chapter and use that meaningfully, use the challenge questions meaningfully with staff and teams. So it's it's a practical resource aimed at people in the world of community work. And I think it's got currency with People beyond what's identifiable as the world of CLV, so people who work in um, in in social work, community work settings, people who work in arts community settings. I think it's got currency with people beyond the boundaries of what we would call CLV. Um, anyway, I've been really pleased to be involved in it because I loved working with that writing group. I didn't essentially in the beginning think it would be possible for a gaggle of people to come up with something coherent. <laughs> and that's what we've managed to do. We've wrapped the chapters, which we've divvied up between ourselves and um, wrapped them into one entity. And Karen McArdle um, has has provided a bit of a thread through it so that it's there's a thread of continuity.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but it's basically been produced from people who are not experts, who don't see themselves as experts, but who happen to have quite a bit of experience that they want to share, so that's the ethos around it. It's about sharing from a group of people who've made an effort to come together and capture it in writing. So I'm um, I'm pretty pleased about it. I didn't didn't ever see myself as a writer, and from my perspective, to have contributed to a publication like this is is a a great success story for me personally particularly at my point in my career where i'm thinking you know i won't be working for many more years in the field of work at some point i need to retire you know i need there's too many scones to be baked connor i've got to get out there (laughs) but but essentially i'm hoping the book will be valuable into the sector and we're getting good feedback from practitioners already about its practical use I, I I'm I'm singing a word of praise for this book, not for myself, but because of the fact that a group managed to pull it pull it together and therefore it's gonna have some value from that point of view as well.
0: Yeah, and I think but I didn't actually realise that's how you said um, came across it either, and how you've collaborated to do it. So that's amazing for five individuals to come together to have an end product. That's amazing. It that is it's really, really good. You should be dead proud of yourselves for being able to pull something like this together. How long did it take?
1: I think it took from the concept, which was created in a coffee shop over a number of cakes, I have to say, <laughs> um, right through to securing um, the publication. I think it was 18 months altogether. It was a, a solid winter's work. And yeah. we met in each other's houses before the lockdown um, to you know, flesh out our thinking, to challenge each other um, but it was probably 18 months in in the whole the whole period
0: brilliant nice one so everybody listening you know what you need to do go and buy the book <laughs> <laughs> brilliant so thanks very much for joining me today Sue. um it's been really nice to meet you um and
1: look forward <laughs> thanks to- connor it's um it's been a pleasure i have to say really great to talk with you and thanks very much for the opportunity i really really appreciate it thanks very much
0: all right folks hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as added for more information on Sue's book please head to the link in the description also please follow us on twitter at cld talks where you can be kept up to date with all future podcasts and you can join the conversation there thanks very much for listening in
1: see you next time